Hello and welcome to the NFL Scotland podcast. I'm Paul Mitchell. The NFL does do a close season, but it does a close season like no other. We've got plenty of great guests and great topics ahead on the NFL Scotland podcast between now and kickoff. Cameron is not here, unfortunately. I can tell you he's not on Instagram looking for a masseuse. That is just a rumour. Instead, I'm joined by Gordon McInnes, Ewan De La Squa, Callum Buchan, former Edinburgh Wolves, we're going to be talking Texans, guys, because they were some story last year, and I reckon they're going to be some story this year as well. Thanks, you all, for joining us here. Ewan, first of all, we've got to talk about the Deshaun Watson story, and I think we'll simply just leave it at this at the moment. There is a doubt whether Deshaun Watson starts under centre for the Texans come September. Yeah, and I think there was doubt prior to the allegations that have come out. I think the 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 whole scenario around it I think is, is interesting because the, the core reasons that he wanted to leave the team were bound by the fact that there was miscommunication, there was mistrust etc and he was a high character high moral guy and I think all this kind of allegations on the face of it seemed to fly in the face of that um, so it, it seemed his future seemed uncertain it seemed, seemed more uncertain now after those allegations I think it's a case of where he would be traded or if he would be traded um, to now if he'll be suspended, if he'll be traded. So I think the net effect was likely to be a holdout and whether that be holding out um, via uh, suspension um, and depending on whether he's on the exemption list or whether he's on uh, the just generally suspended by the league and the set president, Ben Roethlisberger, etc. So you're probably looking to 68 games for conduct um, detrimental to the league so I think it's difficult and I think you've got to remember all through this you've got to assume nothing I think was was a, a, a Q&A supplied by one of my one of my good friends a lawyer in Houston and um, and she said you've got to remember you, you have not seen the proof and, and I think we've also got to remember as well it's a civil court there's been no uh, charges filed with the police the police have not received anything like that so there's so much to be decided between no, but I think what you've got to remember, I think, really is the, the courts in Harris County haven't caught up since Hurricane Harvey. So this has got the propensity to last a long time. So most of these most of these cases are, you know, by the definition of civil courts, settled by uh, by litigation. Um, but they but they try and get they try and get set settlements through financial means, and that's the whole point of a civil court is to balance the power between those that have it and those that don't by definition. Um, as Mike Florio from um, Pro, Pro Football Talk aptly put it last week. So it's, it's got a lot of twists in the tail, but I, I, I suspected for most of this off-season that he wasn't going to be back in Houston. Um, certainly whether that's with a holdout or suspension, I think it's more the likely matter, but it's a sorry mess and probably another another layer of complexity and dysfunction that, uh, that the team could have done without. Gordon, I, I must admit, I'm personally uncomfortable by the NFL's policy of banning players um, when they've not been found guilty, either in civil court or criminal court. It, 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 to me, it's a very interesting path to walk. What are your thoughts on the NFL allowing to do this, which the players' union allow them to do? And are you agreeing with you in that we're not going to see Deshaun Watson? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think on the on the balance of everything you would lean it's likely that he's not the week one starter for the Texans. Um, even if this was to all, you know, somehow blow over and not turn into a suspension, you know, where they were at the start of this offseason through the end of last season, it felt unlikely that he was going to be there. Um, in terms of whether or not the NFL should be allowed to, I think as well that 
the important thing is that the legal system in America is different from our legal system. And, you know, as Ewan was touching on there, there is a lot, a lot more stuff that is pushed towards civil courts and litigation and stuff like that. So I, I don't know enough about the US court system, um, but the NFL have set a precedent long, long since now. Um, at times, they're very inconsistent with how they deal with it. And you can look through the years and some of their suspensions have been wildly different for seemingly um, similar scenarios. Um, but on the balance, I think it's pretty hard to see him being the starter in week one. Callum, I mean, as a fan, were you already set that he wasn't going to be there? And does the signing of Tyrod Taylor fill you with joy? I mean, it, it's actually been very interesting if you've kind of been watching this as a Texans fan. So when he initially put in that trade request, I'd say the vast majority of Texans fans were actually on his side. They fully understood exactly why he was doing this because the organisation was such a mess. Now you look at it and you have to say, yeah, he's he's complete. The, the tide is completely turned against him. All the fans are against him now. You know, it's starting to come through that. Well, who we thought Deshaun was, he maybe isn't necessarily. Again, we don't really know. It's all allegations at this point. But as they continue to mount up, it's, it's becoming more and more of an issue. I, for me personally, if Tyrod's the quarterback, because I don't think Deshaun will play. I think there's, we're at 19 cases now or 19 accusers. There comes a tipping point to where the Texans can actually walk away from this. And you could be asking, is Deshaun still going to be on the Texans? Not, is he going to be traded? But are they actually just going to end up releasing him for conduct detrimental? Similar to what the Falcons did with Mike Vick. Like, what's the tipping point at that where they actually go ahead with that? And this year, it was already going to be a write-off for the Texans, even if Deshaun was playing. So I, I think we're in total rebuild mode now. Tyrod just helps us get that number one pick for 2022. Okay, hold your horses. We'll, we'll, we'll get there regarding how well or how badly uh, you're going to do. We'll throw a beach towel over that and let's move on. Into, I mean, I'd love to go down the Michael Vick route, but I think that's for another podcast because if, you, if you've not watched the Michael Vick documentary on Netflix, it, it is truly shocking and stunning. Ewan, do you share Callum's sense of foreboding almost that this is already a lost year? I mean, I, I was looking before I came on. There's 28 new Texans have been signed. Whether I mean, they won't all stay on the roster. You've re-signed six, you've lost 13. I mean, there was always going to be a big transition anyway. Yeah, I think the, yeah, the transition, I suppose, was, was going to happen. And Nick Caseri was being industrious to think of anything. Um, I think, the, I suppose, the issue is that the quarterback was an issue prior to the legal allegations, uh, whether they'll be, you know, whether that will be solved in any time soon is a different matter, I suppose. And I think the, 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 I suppose the sentiment, as you said, was with the team, their calm. I, I don't think people necessarily turned against him, but I think they definitely turned against the team um, from, you know, and that, that was present, prevalent for the last few years, I think, right through even 2019 before they started picking up some form. And I distinctly remember, you know, being, outside the stadium and just feeling the atmosphere of frustration um, that people were that were not happy with the way the team was being run. I think the 
the, the path, well, I mean, what I do agree with those, I think what you said there, Cameron, I think is that the, this is a lost year and this had the potential to already be a lost year. Um, and that is a result of the culmination of so many mistakes right through from June, July 2019, when they sacked Brian Gain, gave too much power to Bill O'Brien. And there's been a culmination of, of decisions that have left this team short in a lot of areas, particularly cap. Um, space, um, draft picks, and as well as talent on the field. And I mean, that was coming for a long time, but completely misread, completely mismanaged. And I think our biggest problems are, you know, to use a good Scottish phrase, with the Glaikit owner. I think he's just, he's, he's taken over from his father. He's not able to understand the situation that the team are in. He didn't understand the challenge or role of a GM head coach combination. I don't think he, he, he blatantly doesn't understand fans' frustration. So, from where the team is. And I think the the fact is we've not got enough talent on the field. We didn't have enough talent on the field last year. We've lost Will Fuller in free agency. We've lost J.G. Uh, Watt was um, released. Um, and we're probably going to you know lose our best player of all. And I think we, when you were going into this offseason, um, it was a chance to redefine what it meant to discuss or talk about Texans football. That, that, that chance was there to redefine it the owner could not see that or could not see the error of his ways and how, who he hired and how he hired them, who he, and then who Nick Casario then hired as head coach because a result of the position he was put in. Um, so I think when you before you even talk about who they've signed and you know, there's some structural fundamental issues um, right at the heart of, of that stadium on Kirby Drive in Houston that they just cannot get out of their own way. And it's been like that for a long period of time, I think. And, you know, Cal McNair is... Is it a sixty-year-old man? But he's he's not he's not particularly wise in the way he comes across, and he's not particularly insightful about how the football team should be run. And I think the I remember when I first went my when I first ever set foot in that stadium one time, and the the the, the team were rocking, and somebody said to me, "If this team was run well, you could build a stadium three times the size, and you could fill it comfortably." But it's not been run in that way, and it never will be because of the type of people that have got it. And I think. That's that's the issue more than anything else. And I think that the weak ownerships allowed so many decisions to happen, which were probably a three to four year rebuilding project to, to clean out the old issues. And you saw that even at the weekend with that third overall pick, which would have been ours, traded for a lot of return. So that one player has now been flipped for four first round picks um, and a third. So there, there's you know just mismanagement and not understanding value and leverage and how it operates in the league. And it's it just all culminates in a team which will not be competitive in this year. And there's a good chance it might not even be competitive in 2022. Gordon, if we, if we look, Bill O'Brien left. He was a pantomime villain. We can now say he's behind you. He's gone. He's out the way. Let, let's talk about the hiring of the coach. Now, I, I, I actually agree with what Ewan said, but to, to, to go the other way, were ownership clever in not actually involving Deshaun Watson in the decision for who should be the head coach? Because they might have seen what was coming. Is that a defence for them? I think... So the two ways I would look at that is, one, I don't think your quarterback has to be involved in the decision to hire a head coach. Um, the the big problem with that seemed to come from the fact that Watson was apparently told that he would be. So if you tell him he's going to be and then he's not, that creates a problem. Um, but I don't think it's a situation whereby he had to be involved from the beginning. It's an issue if you've said, you know, you can be involved here. And the, the Bill O'Brien thing is interesting as well because he obviously was made to be the pantomime villain, but as Ewan's touched on, there's bigger problems there than Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien's actually a, a pretty good coach. Um, 
putting him in a player personnel scenario, I don't necessarily think was the best thing. But as a as a coach himself, you know, he knows how to coach football players. He knows how to build a scheme. You know, he's now helping out at Alabama, so he's very well regarded in football circles. Um, it was just you know potentially the situation around him that made that all significantly worse. In terms of the new head coach, David Cully comes in, former Ravens assistant. He was actually a wide receivers coach at the Ravens, which I didn't think they had, but hey, that's just the way it goes. <laughs> no, I'm sure you know, it came as a surprise to everybody else. You've obviously watched him and seen him in action. I mean, if you had to sell him to you and, and Callum, you know, what, how would you sell him? Most, I think most coaches that come from the Ravens organisation are going to be viewed as high-character players. One of the things, one of the biggest things I've learned over the last maybe two or three years watching American football compared with maybe a decade before that is that there's a reason why good teams in the NFL stay good. There's a reason why the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, regardless of who they have at quarterback, are probably never more than a season away from being a playoff threat. You know, the the Patriots last year took a huge step back, but we're still floating around the wild card hunt and they'll probably be back in there this year. The Ravens are an organization that produce good coaches. Um, he's not, you know, there's not anything schematically that straight away, you know, you would put him with the big names that have become head coaches in the last couple of years. But John Harbaugh, who's the Ravens head coach, was the second choice when they hired him. They wanted Jason Garrett. John Harbaugh was... I think he was actually the defensive backs coach for the Eagles that year, but he'd been the special teams coordinator and he's, he'd moved from special teams to defensive backs so that he could, you know, manage a position to to get a head coaching opportunity. So he was very well regarded within the Ravens organization. Um, and I think he's come from an organization where the head coach is not the schematic mastermind that some head coaches are, but he's up there with the best two or three motivators and man managers and player managers in the sport. Callum, you're obviously disappointed you didn't get Dan, let's bite their knees off Campbell. Who, I mean, who yeah. wouldn't want him? So it, in terms of this, what are your expe- expectations for a head coach? I mean, I, you put it beautifully, you know, in terms of what he's coming into, there's dysfunctional ownership, there's dysfunction at quarterback, there's dysfunction in losing some of your best players. You gave too much power to the previous coach and didn't actually just allow him to coach. I mean, what are your expect expectations of David Cully? What's success for him in year one? I mean, my expectations are low because I've followed his career. So um, in terms of a wide receiver coach, he was responsible for the Kansas City Chiefs wide receivers when none of them scored a touchdown throughout an entire NFL season. His position at the Baltimore Ravens was pass game coordinator, what was the worst part of that Baltimore def- of that entire Baltimore offense and what is essentially hamstrung Lamar Jackson, who I think quite highly of, is the passing game. Um, you know, everybody's kind of said, well, Harbaugh was talking him up and saying what a great hire it is, you know, to get him as a head coach. Of course he is, because the, you know, the NFL rules when it comes to hiring minority coaches, he knew he was going to get a draft pick if you took David Cully. If you can get like, a draft pick for like essentially rubbish and get it out of the door, then perfect. Like I, I just didn't like it at all. I thought it showed a complete lack of ambition anyway. I'd rather we had gone out and tried to get it. Like, 
at least make a push for Josh McDaniels. Um, trying, but again, it was such a toxic environment going on there. You had all the issues with Jack Easterby, which have been floating about. Realistically, you weren't going to get a top tier candidate. And I think that's where it's ended up. Like, if we'd got Dan Campbell, that would be an upgrade. Everybody makes fun of him, but at least he can actually motivate. And he, in his time in Miami, he was he did actually do a pretty good job. I I just think Cully's an awful hire, but that's what you're going to get when you're the laughing stock of the NFL. I think the thing as well, though, with like so in in Cully's defence as the Ravens wide receiver coach, um, and coach on that in the past game the Ravens investment at wide receiver the last couple of years has all been draft pick related and they haven't been particularly good Marquise Brown was the best yeah. best guy so he didn't have like he had probably not even probably he had the worst set of receivers to work with so they're probably they're probably as blame in in that sense for him and I know there's a lot of Ravens fans who are who would have been glad just to have seen him leave without any compensation coming back in return but there probably is also a little bit of, you know, how much he had to work with probably held him back a little bit. But, but even schematically, if you look at that Ravens passing offense, it is one of the most simple passing offenses that, that they have in the NFL. And the problem is that... I don't, I don't think he had, too much, he had too much to do with that, though. That's primarily Greg Roman. Um, and that's, a, that's been a Greg Roman problem in Buffalo. It's been a Greg Roman problem yeah. in San Francisco and now Baltimore. So it, it's, it's a weird one that... I, I do agree though. If they've made the if they've made the hire based on they think he is a good um, wide receivers coach, then it's you know a very very questionable move. I would assume that they're trying to go down the route of high character, you know. Yeah, but it's also you've also got his age on it as well. So he's one of the older yep. older hires when you've just got rid of Romeo Cornell. You're not really wanting a motivator. You need somebody that's actually got the vigor and the the verve to be part of an entire rebuild. But again, I think this comes back to the fact that Jack Easterby is involved in this. So it's not, it wasn't a, an attractive situation for people to walk into. Yeah. I, don't, yeah, I, don't I think, think I don't, yeah. No, I was no, just, I was I just I, so, sorry. You know, I was just going to say, I mean, I get very uncomfortable when, when we're hiring on race or we're hiring on age, it's got to be the right person. You know that that's what you've always got to do. So I think I personally think it's demeaning that the Ravens get a pick simply because they've hired a, a minority coach elsewhere. I think that demeans David Cully. We'll discuss that another day. But but you and fr- from your perspective, I mean, you know, Callum's saying basically you, you've not picked from the top of the tree, and already this looks like a bad hire. Agree? Disagree? Oh, I don't think you can dismiss a twenty-seven year NFL coach and experience as rubbish. I don't think you can dismissed for a second was he given equal opportunity throughout his career because of his race I mean we all know the answer to that is no um I think quite simply that was the case so I mean he was the first ever black quarterback at Vanderbilt University he's he is a motivator I think if we were going to hire Josh McDaniels for the fan base and the people I know I think that would have been a real revolt if we if we'd have gone down that route so I think yeah definitely but I my dream hire for that would be if we actually had an owner with some backbone. You had Deshaun Watson at the start of this offseason. You just go to Oklahoma, you drive up as much money as possible and you give it to Lane, you give it to uh, Lincoln Riley and say, here you go, here's your starting quarterback. Come rebuild this team, we'll give you some years. But we don't have that. 
And yeah, but I, mm. I don't know. Like, if David Kelly was good, he it doesn't matter. Eventually, the cream always rises to the top in the NFL. He would have been picked off earlier. He would be an OC or he would be something. He's never really elevated to that level. No, I think he hasn't. But I think in his, in his own words said, I've been brought to do this job based on this situation. And I think he knows fine well that he's a caretaker and he's, he's to see through a rocky period to transition post-rebuild. And I, I, I think he's under the... I think he's probably under the perception that, that he's in. Um, and I think he's... and I, So I think to to probably grade it on the... the you know, on a in a vacuum, um, yeah, you would say it's not the best hire. But I think he's he's coming to be a CEO, a, a guy to lead and build a, a a place where players want to play. And I think you know, if anybody is unfamiliar with the Jack Easterby situation, that Calma touched upon there, he's effectively you know probably a good comparison is him. He's like about like Bez for the Happy Mondays. That's about his level of input. But yeah, he's probably in the top in the top two or three people. You know, with influence. I don't think he's making the decisions he was. Uh, but for whatever reason, the owner has a blind spot to him and he has influenced and negatively, and you saw Andrew Johnson, the greatest player in franchise history, come out and call him out by name on social media um, because he thought he was a problem and his exact nothing as good has happened there. And I think the issue with the fans was he should have been removed at the same time as O'Brien because it effectively absolved him of the blame of all the mess. So he's still kind of there. And I think that probably the issue I, I think we, most of us will have is that Looking at objectively, there's been a carryover from the previous regime, not to the new one. And, you know, Gordon mentioned Pittsburgh Steelers and Corn Ferry and the search firm and see what you want about search firms had Omar Khan lined up ready to be the, the, the next general manager of the Houston Texas, the VP of uh, effectively back office um, in in Pittsburgh, a, a well-run, well-respected organization. And and the, the crux of it was, long story short, Jack Easterby managed to find a way to... to to ro- railroad that process and bring in somebody who shares the same agent with him, Nick Casario, and somebody's worked with before. So it was a way for him to keep in the building. And I think you know, there, there's kind of, I mean, in every organization, there's influences of people's opinions, and that's the way that decisions are made. But I think as it pertains to him, he continues to make, and he's taken a back step in all this, and all this, um, the, the Sean Watson headlines for off the field reasons has probably kind of allowed him to scuttle off into the background. But um, but I think that there's, a, there's definitely a, an awareness probably from Nick Casario in terms of how he's gone about free agency. And, you know, Paul, you touched upon some of the players. He's just gone for volume on low deals. I don't agree with his principle because he's spending a lot of cap dollars that we could roll into other years. He's signed so many players that we're now having to restructure other players and now we're kicking the can down the road. We've now got four players picking up just under 50% of our salary cap figure for 2022 um, providing Watson still on the books. So it's um, it, it's a bit of a mess and I think it's going to get a little bit worse than before it gets better. And I think people have, as and I suppose the laughing stock kind of uh, comment is probably right in some ways. And I still don't think rock bottom is probably in sight. I think it will be, it will hit that at some point, but I don't think we've got there yet before we can start climbing back up. You can ask you, and, and I mean this in a, in a very serious way, do you think the Texans will win a game this year? I think is it you, that bad? Yeah. Is no, it that bad? Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, look, I think if you, if you look at, you know, look, so look, I mean, if you take Jacksonville's roster, first round pick, or the first overall pick this year, um, is their roster better than ours? You think you look at the two first round picks that the year prior, probably, would both those guys start for in Houston? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you, I think that, 
the best analogy sometimes to assess your own quality is what what players on your roster would start on you know the vast majority of other teams. And I think obviously Watson aside, you think Laramie Tunso, yeah, probably starting ninety odd percent of the the uh, the rest of the teams and beyond that. Um, yeah, I, I've struggled to think of a name really. I mean, you could make arguments for maybe Justin Reed was at Cunningham. Um, and that's really about it. I think we've, and I pro- the problem is we've had, we've had a lot of top end talent um, being ripped from this roster and sold for pennies on the dollar. Um, and it's hard to replace that and it takes time. Um, and when you've given up draft picks for trades for quarterbacks or trades for, you know, ridiculous trades for left tackles, it was totally unnecessary and not needed by the franchise at that point, considering how many first-round picks we've missed in the previous years, given up for getting rid of Brock Osweiler, bringing in Watson, etc. There's, you know, there's going to be a six-year span where we're only going to have two first-round picks, 17 in Watson, 2019 in Titus Howard. So there's, um, it's, it's, not, it's not good in terms of talent. I think the problem was we just lacked fundamental good football players last year. We couldn't stop the run and we couldn't run the ball ourselves. And despite the game changing, spread formations, um, you know, high high level of passing, you know, 55, 60% passing, it still counts. And when you've got fundamental flaws at the end of your roster, you're in danger of not winning a game. And um, that being said, the coaching staff under O'Brien, O'Brien was the best coach on his staff. And I think he picked guys for whatever reason, whether it be an affable mix with his personality, people that wouldn't challenge him. He didn't have a, many good coaches on that staff. And I think the new coaching staff, Pep Hamilton, you've got... Um, We've got a number of good coaches that have come. We've retained Tim Kelly, etc. So we, we, we've got a defensive coordinator. Lovey Smith, sorry, escaped me. Lovey Smith, former head coach Chicago Bears, took my Super Bowl, etc. Not done great with Illinois, but I think they're all upgrades on what we had previously um, Compton at the offensive line, So which a unit we've invested in, but not necessarily seen the fruits of that investment. So I think you can win some games. You always can just by fluking decisions, and and you know most games are decided, you know by by less than you know less than ten points. But uh, there is an opportunity for that. And look, I think you know like it's we're just you know we're going to a seventeenth game, and I think probably couldn't come at the worst time from a Houston point of view. But there's there there's there's probably you know you, you've got to pay pay some of the bad times um, to get the good. I think sometimes um, and a lot of that. And I thought we'd probably paid that you know with the, the Mallet Hoyer, all these kind of guys that we've trotted out there that weren't very good. Brockhausweiler etc. And we'd never really replaced Matt Shab after his his body just sort of collapsed at an early age. You thought you'd paid your dues at that point, and you felt like you know you were due some success. And it was it was on we were on the cusp of that. And at the end of the 2018 season, we were we just needed some refinements and. It probably couldn't have gone much worse from that period, and yeah, I think it's 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 a quite a big possibility. You don't win a game, and um, but you need to get you need to hit rock bottom, and I think that would be part of that. Yeah, definitely, Paul. I'll come to Callum in a second, Gordon. From the from the neutral point of view, I mean, when you've seen, you know, bad coaching decisions, you've seen terrible trades. They've got, I mean, the first pick that the Texans will get this year is round three. It's sixty seven. You've seen players exodus to the Arizona Cardinals. I mean. A lot of this is self-inflicted. You know, is there a degree of sympathy for teams when they do this to themselves, or is it just the nature of the beast? It's one of those things whereby I think you you can get a reputation for being a target for bad deals as well. And if you look at the Texans over the last couple of years, they've overpaid for players while giving away players for not enough. And the, the J.J. Watt thing, releasing J.J. Watt is altruistically a very nice thing to do. He played his heart out for that team for what, a decade plus, or just, just short of a decade. 
Um, it's a nice thing to do to let him go and choose his next team. Team building wise, he could have probably netted you at least a third round pick, if not a second. Um, the the DeAndre Hopkins trade was just giving away a player for you know not enough for in terms of how good he could have been for you this year. You would have, from a second round pick to get that back. You're almost as well waiting a year. Or, well, at that point, you couldn't have waited a year, actually, because he was under contract. But, you know, trying to trade him at a separate point if the market's not there for it. Um, the interesting thing with the Texans, though, is that they're almost in a good position for a rebuild once everything settles with Deshaun Watson, whether or not he's traded away or whether or not it's a suspension or something like that. They're in a position where if you need to rebuild, you don't want a good roster. You want a roster that is probably going to be the first, second, third overall pick. From that point, to Ewan's point that it's probably not a one-year rebuild, it's probably two or three, they should probably do what the Cleveland Browns did and take that top three pick next year, trade it to someone who's trying to move up for a quarterback, do what you know the Miami Dolphins have just done with the Texans pick and gone and got multiple first-round picks. And you might need to do that for two years until the salary cap situation settles. Maybe you just do it for one year and then you come back and you get your quarterback the next year because your roster is probably still not going to be good. The The Cleveland Browns are the perfect example of how you can go from complete laughing stock to, I mean, how Baker Mayfield was number one overall pick, what, three, three years ago, this sim coming into his fourth season now. And right now, I would probably say they're the favorite to win the AFC North. And that's a division that we touched on, have two very, very good organizations that have been perennial contenders in the NFL. And they did that through being very smart with what you know you do with those picks. Now, to the points that you and Gallum have made, when I'm saying they're in a perfect position to, to build on those things and perfect position to rebuild, you need to get that right. And my worry for the Texans would be they wind up with the first overall pick next year and they draft a quarterback and the quarterback is surrounded with a terrible roster. And, you know, we've seen what happens to, if you're, if you're not an elite quarterback and you go to a terrible roster, you're probably not going to have success. So you then likely have a two, three year period where you're maybe winning five, six games and it just perpetuates itself as a cycle. It's, it's one of the toughest things in sports is to accept that you're not going to win this year. You're probably not going to win next year and build for the future and they absolutely have the opportunity to do it. I just don't know that they will. Callum, the, the prospect of a season where you are going to be going through rebuilding, we'd feel a lot of people would dread. If you had the right people behind you, you might feel a little bit better, but you've almost got that combination of you're going to have to rebuild, and it would appear, and I know you can't speak for the whole fan base, but it would appear you don't have the right people in charge to do it. No, and I think... I think actually that that's something that Gordon's kind of hit on. There's, there's, you can have all this capital, but if you don't use it correctly, then you're going to end up in the same same position. I I do think weirdly, they actually stumbled into a bit of good fortune by completely by accident. If you look at that DeAndre Hopkins trade now, that's actually saved them a ton of cap hell because of what happened at the end of the season. But they would not be in a good position financially. So shifting Hopkins early, it's kind of put us into a better position for a rebuild. Unfortunately, we didn't get what we should have done for it. Um, but 
it does make things a little bit easier. And, you know, we, we've now lost probably, I'd, I would say the greatest player in the franchise's history. I don't know if Ewan agrees with that, but certainly for me, JJ Watt, I, th- I think he was always going to leave. It was a situation where with this cap, I don't think we would have got anything for him because of his cap number. Teams knew that we had to release him anyway. So you were going to get maybe a sixth or seventh round pick at most for him. It's just one of those things where we've now, we're a franchise that has lost so much of what made us good and we're almost unrecognisable. So I think it's just a season of putting on the brown paper bags and you just have to hope that something is going to fall into your lap that could be good. Um, And given the stage that we're at, if Deshaun Watson doesn't get suspended by some miracle, I I really think we need to trade him so that we have the draft capital. Because in two years' time, that cap's going to explode. And as much as the Texans are a colossal nightmare to, you know, of an organisation in terms of being run, what do players care about the most? Money. Houston has the you know, the great benefit of no state income tax. So players get more money when they sign for them. So it's always going to be an option to come to Houston. But we just need to get ourselves into a good position for that window. I think on the on the on the, the trade in Watson though, I think when you see San Francisco trade up to potentially get the third best of a of of three, you know, which are all maybes and you could say Trevor Lawrence is, is probably a more plausible than a maybe, but when you see what they've given up to go and trade up, when you see what um, Jared Goff's gone for, when you see um, other moves have been made, I think whatever a team can give you is not enough, regardless. I think if it's five first-round picks, which the Dolphins could do now, um, I still don't think that's enough because you can't replace that. And if you look at every single quarterback that's been drafted in the top the top end of prior to 2017, I think there was only one that was still on his team uh, from 2005. So you've got a 15-year, 16-year sample size there of you could have all the picks you want. You could pick Isaiah Wynn in the first round and then he could go and spend all his money in the strippers and never play a down for the Titans. You know, So I think it's like you've got whatever Watson got. Look, it might be a case of it's an untenable relationship and you have to move on. Um, but I think the, the trading a, a franchise passer who you know are there have been two really come about in the last 15 years that are transcendent talents make players better around you you know are the trucks of trailers and I think that you know there's there's very few of them that can do what he can do and I, I think that if you do trade them you, you you've got to be careful what you wish for because the, we've had a 20-year existence now on um, going into next year 19 years this will be our 19th season and we've never had a player like him until 2017 so I think it's it's you. You could move on, but I think with all the kind of off-field thing, I think you've got a chance to, to in some way maybe make a move that, that could try and salvage things because you, you're you know you you can you can go you can let them go, but then you'll you'll never be the same again, and you'll always be the team known that you had the the most valuable thing in all of professional sports, the hardest thing to come across, and you let it go because you couldn't function in an orderly manner. So if there's any way that it can salvage that I think there's just there's not enough to do it now could the rest of the roster be better 
And uh, with, with those picks, yeah, absolutely. And you might be an Aaron Rodgers, you only won a couple, and or you know, the one one, and not from nowhere near what your talents deserve. Same with Drew Brees, we're just seeing retired, did not win enough considering his talents. Um, but I think if you let him go, I just don't think there's any price you can pay that will ever ever replace that. Um, the, other, the other problem with that is that the his trade value right now is pretty much non existent. Yeah. Yeah, so by the time this all gets settled, is it likely it's done before the draft at this point? That's very unlikely. So his trade value, you know, when all these teams have all these picks is, you know, was now, and this is kind of taken that completely off the table. So it becomes, in a weird way, it almost might be something that if this was to be sorted out and Watson was to not be suspended, but it has lingered on enough that the Texans cannot trade him because they can't get value, it gives you time to potentially repair that relationship. So, you know, I, I would almost say at this point, the the prospects of him being a long-term Texans player might be better than they were three months ago because yeah, I, agree. Yeah. I think he's harder to trade now. I don't think Not- you can trade him at this moment because, uh, like you say, he's, he's damaged goods. And realistically, he's probably going to be looking at eight games right, if you use the Ben Roethlisberger precedent which was two incidents. And I don't think there was any criminal charges in that. He got six games. So I, I think you'll probably look at about eight games for Deshaun Watson. But I I don't think he'll get traded this year, but it could be something that they move on next next year. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't, I really can't see them repairing this relationship at all, even given everything that his camp has been putting out as well. Like prior to this, like his QB coach Quincy Avery is like all over bad mouthing the Texans, so it just seems like they've done a they've burned a lot of bridges already. Yeah, but I think that was prior he got himself into a situation. Whatever you you know, whatever the evidence comes out at the time, I think the the crux of it'll always be you know, and and look, I think there's a huge cultural element here, whether it's top end athletes, top end music stars. The Instagram is effectively a directory of which the, you know they're using it in a method that you know questionably morally you probably shouldn't be, uh, but that is just the the reality of it. And I think the Watson case is probably just creaking that door open ever so slightly about this sordid underworld that most of us probably don't appreciate um, that goes on. But I think whatever whatever's proven, whatever's not proven, I think it'll always go back to the fact that you put yourself in a situation, son, that you should never have put that, and you've embarrassed this franchise, and we gave you the money. To, to be the player you wanted to be, everyone you'd ever worked for. And not only did you let yourself down, you let us down. And I think there, there is an element of that that I think they can be leveraged against him because his whole thing was, oh, you've let me down. Well, you know, it's the complete opposite now. It's flipped very, very quickly. So like what Gordon said, there is an, there is a, albeit a small chance, but there is a, sm- a chance that you can get him back because, you know, that ultimately there's not many humans can do what he can do. And it's just, it's just a supply and demand thing purely. And look, in the NFL, you know, we've seen that, okay, they'll, they'll make a stance, but, uh, you know, virtue and, uh, and morality is not something, you know, for a, for a private business that's run by 32 billionaires, who, you know, who, who wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire, you know, as a fan, they don't care. It's just all about money. So, so I think that it's, uh, you've probably seen an ugly side of the business that, that many people don't want to see. And I think there'll be definitely something. And I think as well, from a, from an ownership point of view, you can imagine how many owners would be on the phone going, look, if you trade Deshaun now, Cal, 
not only do you make a mockery of this league in terms of the con- contractual value that's completely eroded because you you sign somebody and then you've let them hardball you into trading them because their agent's got a direct line to Adam Schefter. You know, I think that there is a, there's a, a precedent to be set here of standing firm. And I think Nick Caseri was quoted by Albert Breer saying that. He said that to many general managers, you can talk to me about any player on my roster except for my quarterback. And I don't think that'll change. Ewan, is the possibility, though, that Deshaun Watson, if he comes through all of this, say he gets 68 games, whatever is settled civilly is, is settled and he is allowed to play football, does he not come back and just think to himself, look, the Texans is my home. I, nobody else wants me. I'm just going to go and do my best for them. You know, the Americans love a redemption story. We've talked about Mike Vick, you know, and, and how the redemption came for him. Can he find that in Houston or is, or does he have to go? Well, I think, no, I mean, look, I think whatever, you know, whatever, I still believe, you know, people have the, should be afforded the chance to rehabilitate, be given second chances. And I think regardless of what you've done, and Michael Vick was given that and that, you know, and look, you, you were not here to question the the sort of levels or compatibility of crimes, but at, at the end of the day, that was a serious federal crime. This at this, at this stage is still a civil lawsuit, um, you know, by by a lawyer who is, is questionable at best. Um shall we say, and what he spends his uh, spare time doing from all my understanding of him. So I think the the there's an element here that he owes the team something after, you know, embarrassing him and embarrassing himself, I think, um, in the way he's conducted himself. And, uh, you know, however many of these be true, you know, you saw his... his uh, his market manager saying a sworn affidavit against one of the cases already. So, you know, how many would be like that? You know, you're not going to you cast any aspersions on any of it because they should all be taken seriously on their own merit. But there's a there's something probably bigger at play here as well, I think, about how there's a single collation point of all these and how they've all been funneled into a central to a single lawyer, I think, just doesn't quite make sense. And, and um, Although but, the, the, yeah. the, the Sports Illustrated article yesterday, as we were recording this on Tuesday, mm. wasn't a good look for him at all. No, but there was an element in there, which it was one sentence, but I thought it was interesting that there was a almost it almost framed the lawyer's aggressive approach to try and get that individual to sign a contract to come and join on the join on the uh, on his crusade of, or whatever you want to call it against Watson. But look, I think it's 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 the if it was if it was a more reputable law, you know lawyer with less history of being economical with the truth, then I think you could um, you could probably give it a bit more a bit more uh, credence than it has. And but that's not to dismiss from the the severity of the claims in isolation because you can I think and people are being more aware of. Of, of these kind of issues probably they were prior and rightly so but there's uh you know i think there's an element that he could he could you know right the wrongs and you, you've seen people like that and they you know they could go and proactively work for the the, the charity of causes that they, you know that they've done wrong to or whatever in the past and you can you can still make amends and i think if he was to make amends and he was afforded that chance suspension fines loss of endorsements etc if that was to be in houston then you know, I don't think there'd be too many people not for it because he's one hell of a player when it comes down to a pure sporting context. We're almost approaching the end time-wise. I'm going to ask Gordon a question and then Ewan and Callum, I'm going to ask you to give me something positive about the Texans because I feel I should be saying if you've been affected by issues discussed in this podcast. <laughs> I, I, I can really feel, I can feel the pain and, and that is something that is so unique to sports fandom. You know, it's, it's not just a question of you know, watching a game, you know, you do get involved in, in the whole business around it and want your team to do well. So I'm going to ask you for one positive thing in a moment. Gordon, finally for you, 
from the outside, if if you're in the division with the Texans, what are you feeling about them? I don't think you're really feeling anything of concern, at least this year. Um, difficult thing, the, the AFC South is not exactly, you know, it's kind of like a split division just now. You've got the haves and the have-nots. The, the Titans and the Colts look like they'll once again be contenders. The Colts have a weird roster that's could be the best roster in the NFL, but doesn't have a quarterback. And I've had a question mark at quarterback, and that's been the way they've been since Andrew Luck retired. Uh, the Titans, you know, win ugly at times, but Ryan Tannehill was not great for them at quarterback. So it, it's tough to see either of those two teams being concerned um, about the Texans this year. The Jaguars, though, it's almost like the, the Texans are probably the bar that they want to clear this year. The, the Jaguars need to keep moving forward regardless of you know whether or not Trevor Lawrence is the next quarterback in that Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers level of player, they need to keep moving forward. So for them, the, the Texans have to be the bar this year. Thanks, Gordon. Callum, give me something positive about your team before we finish. Uh, Will Fuller's gone, so that means that the treatment table's probably got a little bit more of a longer life. Um, <laughs> I'd, to be honest, I'm a... I'm actually excited for the rebuild. And if we do get into a full rebuild, I am actually excited for it. And I I think if Deshaun doesn't play, I think this is good for Tyrod to actually have a full year as a starter because I think he's quite an underrated quarterback. And just in terms of someone to enjoy slinging the football around, Tyrod is actually quite an underrated guy. I thought he, he didn't really get a fair shake whenever he has had those starting opportunities. So I will be excited to see him throw it about. We'll lose a lot, but we'll be fun. That could be part of it. Ewan, where, where is the hope for Texans fans for you? I don't think it's in this year. I, I mean, I just hope we can get back to games this year because I think being abstract from it, it's... Uh, I think when I first started watching this team, it was never about winning. It was never about the football. It was about what it meant to be a, a Texan or a Mike is an adopted Texan. I think in... Uh, that was the thing that made it special for me, not the, not not all the other kind of stuff that that, that kind of get you know that that can be overly focused on. I think at times, but I think that look, I mean, it's it's I suppose Paul, the, the best way I could probably describe it was a bit like um, a football team not so far from here when they had a rather owner who was not fit for purpose, and so many decisions continued to go on, and it was it was it was you know, and JJ Watt said that last year. It's it, every week there's something, and there's never not been something for two years. So I'd almost, I think I'd almost revel in some of not not necessarily for the podcast or the or the content or my articles on website or anything like that. Because I mean, it's been there's been plenty of uh, ingredients to to write and and criticise and and discuss and and critique all the kind of wrongdoings. But I think there would almost be some some uh, some some solitude and some, you know, some boring, mundane kind of seasons, I think, because it's just been one thing after another. Even last year when we started to look like a pickup, Will Fuller gets popped uh, and Bradley Roby gets popped for PUDs and the first time they both had avoided um, soft tissue issues for a couple of seasons. So it's, it, you know, I think there's just, there's been so much drama. I, 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 I'm almost kind of looking to you know looking forward towards you know who's going to be the the, the backup. Well, I mean I don't know who's going to start. Well, linebacker for example, and a four three that we're moving to. So you know it's small things like that that will maybe be a bit more interesting than um, 
then your quarterback wants out and uh, you've just lost some players for PEDs or your head coach is an upcase or whatever it might be. There's been so much stuff that's gone on that's been non-football. Um, and look, if you lose lots of games and you get to a position where you're at the start of the draft, you know, the top of the draft, then great, because O'Brien's ruined this draft or has he ruined the last draft or has in, you know, we've been on talking draft and a, a process that I think is you know, great for fans, regardless of your team. Um, and that's one thing about the NFL that I do genuinely enjoy in terms of league-wide is the draft, the whole prospect of it. And we've just we've like had that. So I think, you know, you get through this year, you take your lumps um, and you hope that the, the storm clears up and we'll maybe look for some some brighter days ahead. But I don't think they're going to be coming anytime soon. So I've not got any huge positives to say apart from just not not imploding further would be a, would be a gain, I think, to the 2021 season. What a great motto that would be to have across the dressing room. Don't implode further. Ewan, Callum, Gordon, thank you all for joining me here on the NFL Scotland podcast. We will welcome Cameron back next time. We hope you've enjoyed it. Drop us a note on social media. Follow us at, at NFL Scotland on Twitter. Look out for us on Facebook and the NFL Scotland website. But for now, from me, Paul Mitchell, thanks for listening. Bye for now.